welcome to Afterthoughts. We're going to give you our thoughts after we watch something. This is a recommend or reviewed episode. <laughs> That's correct. <laughs> yes. Or. That's right. <laughs> Where we uh, do a Tim Allen next time? (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yes, so we we can get into that. But the voice that you hear first, we have uh, John Garcia. Hey, hey! I'm looking forward to talking about what I'm bringing here. It's something a little classic, a little classy piece. Classy, oh, classy. Okay, okay. All right. Uh, And also joining us, Michael Dixon. Yeah, what's up, guys? Uh, excited to dive in this week. I think we all have some some interesting things to talk about. So, yeah, you're bringing classy stuff too, aren't you? Very classy. All right, yeah. all class. Okay, on this it's podcast. all class. I don't believe you though, John. <laughs> no trash, just class, baby. All class, no ass. Okay. <laughs> uh, yes, and I didn't introduce myself. I am Ryan King, uh, your host for today, and I'm going to go ahead and kick it to Dixon. Though, uh, what do you have, and do you recommend or refute it? Yeah, so this week I made a deal with my lady friend. Uh, she's very into Disney, and I was like, well, I have a Criterion Blu-ray of the 1946 black and white French film Beauty and the Beast, and I have not seen either of the Disney versions of it, or, or the original, before this past week. And so I made a deal with her. I was like, I will watch the two Disney movies with you if you watch this, uh, this old black and white French movie with me. So she reluctantly agreed, and we embarked upon this, this journey this past week. Uh, the 1946 Jean Cocteau Beauty and the Beast is one of Nick Cage's favorite movies, and so I was, of course, huh. drawn to it and, and interested to check it out. Um, it's based on the French fairy tale from, I believe, the 1700s. Um, and the, the Cocteau movie is very... Uh, it's much more true to the original fairy tale. You know, a lot of times fairy tales are made by Disney and they are Disneyfied and they take out a lot of the darker elements of the story and make it a little more kid friendly. Uh, the Cocteau movie doesn't do that, which is pretty cool. Um, there are a lot of Gothic horror vibes and almost film noir aesthetic to it that I really dug. Um, it is, you know, the the classic story of Beauty and the Beast. Unlike me, you've probably seen one of these three movies before this past <laughs> week, so you probably generally know the story. But, uh, you know, it takes place in a small French town, and um, this girl named Belle is the youngest daughter of this family. Uh, the father is uh, formerly wealthy and has gone into debt because he is a shipping merchant and has several ships that are supposed to come in and have not, and have been lost or taken over by pirates or whatever overseas, and he hasn't gotten the goods. And so he has creditors down his throat uh, on him and his son who are, are trying to get paid or take all their shit. And he thinks that w- he gets news that one of his ships might have made it through, and he thinks that he's actually going to be able to collect on some of these goods. So he asks his daughters if they want anything. He has two older daughters who are very vain and obsessed with appearances. I don't know why every fairy tale has like shitty sisters in it. Um, but you know, they, they're like, Oh, we want fancy dresses and shit. And then he asks Belle and she's like, I would just like a rose. That's it. And so he goes off to try to get his ship. Um, turns out the ship has not made it into port and he has to journey back home in the dark of night and gets lost in the woods, stumbles across the beast in the enchanted forest. Uh, the beast uh, says, hey, I'm going to you know, capture you and hold you prisoner for stealing a rose from my garden. 
or you can go home and send one of your daughters in your place. So um, a little bit different than the Disney story and kind of the setup and the the construct there. But, um, you know, uh, obviously, you know, Bell ends up going in his place and, and gets, you know, is a prisoner of, of the beast in his haunted mansion. Uh, like this thing looks fucking great. I also watched Persona this week, which is, uh, you know, like a claimed Ingmar Bergman film that all like film critics love. Beauty and the Beast was by far the most stunning movie that I watched this week from a visual perspective. It is just, it's so incredible the way they do it. It's shot in, in black and white in these dark, like dark forest aesthetic and also inside the mansion in these dark caverns. And, you know, the, the Disney version of Beauty and the Beast, you have like, oh, there's like the candlestick that's come to life and the clock and shit. Yeah. And they like <laughs> walk around and sing songs. In this, there are no other characters in the house other than beauty and the beast but like all of the torches on the wall are held by human arms that are just <laughs> sticking <laughs> out of the wall and just holding the the torches and they will the arms will like move as people are walking down the hall oh, uh, there are, right. are like sculptures of like stone faces into the side of of the wall or around the fireplace and occasionally they will just like blink and it, it's much creepier in the way that it's set up and none of these characters, you know, these human-esque beings ever come to life and, you know, sing a song or talk to anybody, but there's a very eerie presence throughout the film and it has much more of a creepy horror vibe than the, the Disney versions do. Um, I, I just kind of fell in love with the aesthetic of this movie and, and how it's lit. Like it's just in, incredible. It looks incredible in black and white. Uh, Jean Cocteau actually wanted to shoot it in color, but it was made in 1946 and like France didn't have any money at the time because the World War II had just ended. So he like couldn't afford color film. Um, but I can't imagine this thing in color. Like it looks so fucking incredible in black and white. Um, the, the set design is incredible. Like the money that they couldn't afford for film went into the costumes and the sets and, and all of that. And it just looks Every scene looks absolutely gorgeous. And I was just kind of in awe of the movie as I was watching it. You know, it kind of felt like just watching a, like looking at a painting. It just was so beautifully constructed. Um, but I, I, I really, really enjoyed it. The ending scene is, is really powerful where, you know, spoiler alert for Beauty and the Beast, that, you know, the, the beast turns into a handsome prince and they, uh, you know, like live happily ever after or whatever. But Cocteau wanted to shoot the final scene in a way that you were like not sure if it was a happy ending and he said that he designed it so that you know like people would prefer the beast and be disappointed in the ending that he actually turned into a prince and he said he got a lot of like hate mail after the movie from people who saw the film and were like i wanted the beast to actually like stay the beast and and to you know win the love of beauty and not turn into this prince so um he kind of wanted to cast a traditional marriage as a, a prison and, and not necessarily the thing that you want to achieve in life, something that you think you might want, but is actually disappointing uh, when you actually get it. And the way the last scene is, is done, it's like that message is there, but only if you're kind of aware of it and looking for it. Um, and it's, it's interesting how he kind of walks the line with that. But I, I thought it was uh, just a, an incredibly beautiful film and, and really enjoyed it. It's all practical effects, obviously. The, 
just a dude in makeup as the beast. It took this guy five hours to get into makeup every day to do all that. And, um, you know, it kind of like the beast costume, you know, maybe isn't the greatest looking thing you've ever seen. Um, you know, we've clearly gotten better in practical effects with stuff like the thing and, and other movies that we've talked about where, you know, we've kind of gotten further in that, um, in movies, but it, man, this thing is just one of the most beautifully shot films that I've ever seen. And like, kind of like the way that a dark fairy tale should be where it's beautiful and terrifying at the same time. And it's just a, a right. really cool aesthetic that they're able to build in this film. Right. Uh, so I really dug it. Uh, I watched both Disney versions after this. Uh, I thought the animated one was fine. I had always heard that the 91 animated Beauty and the Beast was actually a really great movie and one of the best things Disney has ever done and actually a piece of high art. And then I watched it and I was like, eh, it was fine. Um, and then I, I'd also heard that the live action version from 2017 was the best live action remake that Disney has ever made. No. And <laughs> I might agree with that statement, but it's just such a low bar that like it wasn't like it wasn't a good movie. Like Beauty and the Beast animated version, like barely made it over the line for me. It was like, okay, this is fine. I'll give it a very unenthusiastic thumbs up. The live action one was an unenthusiastic thumbs down. Like, you know, it's just kind of a copy of that. Um, I don't think any of the Disney quote unquote live action remakes are are good. But um, it was, I didn't hate it like I hated Lion King or something like that. Um, but yeah, I, I think um, if you like the Disney Beauty and the Beast movies, I would encourage you to check out the 1946 Jean Cocteau version uh, because I think it's much more adult in what it's trying to do. But it is tapping into that kind of, you know, childlike fairy tale wonder at the same time as it is portraying the story in, in a little bit more adult fashion. So um, I really dug it. Would definitely recommend people check it out. Yeah. I, I absolutely did not like the live action Beauty and the Beast. <laughs> go, go figure. Um, that it just felt like vomiting in my eyes. Like all of the CGI was yeah. just so yeah. aggressively. Yeah. These live action movies flat. that are, have very little live action in them. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I don't remember the animated one that much. Like, and I remember the songs. That's like from any Disney movie, though. Like, yeah, I remember the songs. at least the songs were original for that. And the you know, when you animate furniture in anthropomorphic ways, I think hand-drawn animation leads itself yeah. a lot better to that than when you try to CGI a candlestick and make it look realistic, but also fanciful. It just doesn't really yeah. work to the same degree. Yeah. And also Ewan McGregor plays the fucking candlestick and I hate that guy. Uh, How dare you? So, you know. <laughs> that yeah. man is a national treasure. Name Not one thing that he's ever been good in. Big Fish? <laughs> <laughs> he was fun Not in Big so Fish. Not. He was he fine in Big Fish. <laughs> yes, that's right. <laughs> you know what I would have loved to have seen the candlestick animated live in is like a clue movie where he has to be uh he's fucking culpable for the murder of somebody. <laughs> like there's a lot of questions. It I'm was sure the Ryan candlestick has. in the conservatory. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> no, it wasn't amazing. with the candlestick. It yeah, was the candlestick. It just was it. Look it at that fucker. He's guilty. <laughs> you could tell. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, the live action yeah. one, like the sound mixing on the singing fucks it up. Yeah. Uh, like they're trying to like correct the actors 
singing I, and it actually makes it worse. I thought the sound was bad, but also I was watching it on my girlfriend's television through the television yeah, speakers, no. and so I wasn't sure. That mask. Yeah, no, it's was, bad. It's weird. Yeah. yeah, and the some of the things about the living furniture and shit opens up even more horrible questions than oh, the original. Oh, here it goes. <laughs> I knew this would happen. <laughs> um, but the, the the animated one, like, it it is a big deal for animation. Like, it is really high quality. There are some really amazing yes. things that they did. Like, that does always impress me, and it, it, it holds up there. I'm a Gaston apologist. Um, Whoa. I think he gets a bad rap. <laughs> Bold he, claim. He, he thinks he's a good guy, and everyone in town treats him like he is. Yeah, this is <laughs> the problem. And he's just doing what you delusion. would normally do. Yeah, he's just going to save a girl who's captured and held against her will. Like he's trapped in yeah. toxic masculinity, and he's promoted by the, <laughs> the entire system, townsfolk. Yeah, the system he holds seems him to up. Be very, uh, you know, very strongly in favor of his own vapid bullshit, and like not like he doesn't like the fact that Bell reads. You know, like they paint him as a pretty awful dude. Well, the rest of that town also doesn't like it and shits on her. So really, the whole town is pretty horrible. Oh, yes. Agreed. Yeah. (laughs) Also, like some, I remember my, I think my sister-in-law was telling me that in that, that movie, they animate like breast jiggle physics for some of the characters. Oh. For those uh, blonde girls in the. Yeah. The women who sit around the well, like one of them, they just like rest their bosom right upon the well thing. And it just jiggles along and uh they were like is this you know what i take it back this movie's better than i thought it was <laughs> <laughs> the attention to detail is chef's kiss <laughs> really moving breast animation forward to new heights hey you know gotta gotta get your take your wins where you can anatomically uh, and yeah. otherwise <laughs> Have either did, of you seen the Jean Cocteau Beauty and the Beast? You know I haven't. I assume <laughs> I know. I had no, to ask. I, I watched Sorcerer before I watched Wages of Fear. I haven't seen French yeah, films we, before I've seen the Americanized <laughs> version. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Same-ish. Yeah. Um, I do like the the what you're saying about the twist with the ending there because the original Beauty and the Beast story being a story about arranged marriage, right? Like it, that's mm. what it is a cover for. So having mm. this sort of like dark view of that marriage like that is an interesting take yeah so i I definitely would want to see that yeah it's interesting and it's shot so beautifully it's this moment where like the beast transforms into this prince and bell is like oh and she's like not enthusiastic about it but then she just kind of gives in and she's like okay cool and then they like ascend into the clouds and there's this beautiful shot that ends the movie and it's just gorgeous to look at but you're like i don't know if she's into this and if this is actually the path that she wants her life to take but she is just kind of stuck with it well you know what it sounds like bell's a shallow bitch so (laughs) (laughs) because she likes hairy dudes (laughs) yeah except she's really into what she was like Uh, oh you're completely different physically than what i thought you were I take it you're not following it up with the 1980s television show of Beauty and the Beast, starring the, the what? I'm sorry, starring uh, <laughs> Linda Hamilton and Ron Perlman as the. Oh, Beauty Ron Perlman was in there. what? I, how yeah. have I never heard of this? <laughs> uh, yes, I, I remember that in the late 80s. I, I was fascinated by it, and it totally is like just a a drama, like it's just regular television drama that was trying to like take the Beauty and the Beast. Actually, in thinking about this, I had forgotten, but now remember, there also was like a 2019 
uh, TV show Beauty and the Beast that like ran for seasons on uh, I think the WB or CW, whatever. No, how much plot is there to tell? How do they stretch this out <laughs> this long? They have writers. They know. They can figure it out. Yeah. Twenty. Yeah. Okay. There we go. Twenty nineteen. So no, no. The eighties one was the uh, Linda Hamilton and and Ron yeah, Perlman. Ron, I mean, Ron and Perlman it, is the guy you would cast as the Beast. That does make sense. Right. But I don't yeah, know that you can ever turn him to a, into a handsome prince. I don't think that works. Uh, well, it was a, a TV show, so it never is going to get around to that. <laughs> yeah. You get to cancel the show if you turn him into a prince. Yeah. I remember it having <laughs> oh, a weird... Oh, that's what you look like. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, I, I remember I, it, it... I joked with uh, with my girlfriend in the, in the animated one when he turns into a human, and she kind of looks at him weird for a second, and I was like, she's thinking, oh, you're a redhead. Interesting. <laughs> like, <laughs> oh, jeez. <laughs> Don't have don't have many of those in France. Um, <laughs> do, do, how does how does he get cursed, or do they not even mess with it in the forty six? Yeah, yeah. Uh, they they do mention it. It's not as explicit in the Disney versions. Like, oh, he was a douchebag, and then the it's like he was witch like fourteen cursed him to be a beast. Like, <laughs> it was. Uh, he just makes a vague reference to like my parents didn't believe in spirits and so they took it out on me or something like they don't really hmm, care okay. about why he is the way he is yeah no i think that's bullshit in the disney ones i'm not a witch apologist because fucking yeah. the kid's like 14 and there's a stranger <laughs> like i don't think he i don't think he should get that punished for for making a poor decision as a child. <laughs> yes. Yeah, no, in, in the in the Disney movie, they say that they put a curse on him until his 21st year. And that like once the, you know, at, at the end of the 21st year, he can't become a human again. Isn't, but yeah. then they make a comment later that it's been 10 years. And I was like, wait a minute, this kid yeah. was 11? And they and like cast this evil him for spell life. on him? <laughs> he has undergone and puberty while a beast? Like, and not like, just that, yeah, not just that, you also wrap up all these completely unrelated people who did absolutely nothing and torture yeah. them for 10 years. Uh-huh. And I think yeah, it is like I, they're trying to pull from the 1946 film to like, oh, well, there was like stuff that was like alive haunting. in the mansion. And like, what if we make them happy creatures that sing fun songs? And, you know, let's Disneyfy the shit out of this. Uh, yeah. But I think it works a lot better in the Cocteau version where it's literally just her and the Beast in the house and she is terrified and like anytime she leaves a room there's like weird stone creatures blinking at her or weird human arms waving torches around in the hallways like it's it's pretty you know pretty yeah. scary the way they frame it not not as scary as the horror of someone in town who's like my husband never came back and then 10 years later he shows up and it's like i was a toilet brush for 10 years <laughs> and i'm back now <laughs> The horror. <laughs> they put tea in me. Uh, uh, I I just want to say that there was also a. Uh, so I'm familiar with all the Soviet era films too, and there's a similar beauty. You're in the familiar piece. with all the Soviet era films? Mm, quite a bit of Soviet era films. <laughs> uh, I've I've watched a good number of them. Um, good number of the ones that made it to the stateside, I guess. I don't know, but there's one called uh, Marozka that's uh like frosty, and it's about old man winter. But really, it's also a Beauty and the Beast story. Oh. And uh, it's about like a prince who's conceited, who crosses an old woman or maybe like a mushroom wizard. I don't fucking know. And he gets turned into a bear man and then has to like meet Belle 
in a Russian village where she has shitty stepsisters. Like, what's up with that? Uh, yep. Always the thing. Cinderella. I, yeah. The, yeah. The they're shitty all sisters. there. I feel like it's like a pitting women against women thing. I'm not entirely sure. Yeah. But yeah it really uh, feels yeah. like, a, you know, some of your sisters are going to fucking suck and you should watch out for yeah. them sort of thing. Women but, are, they're catty motherfuckers, aren't they? <laughs> but that entire movie is, is just hilarious because they like literally just put the shittiest bear mask on a dude and have him <laughs> wander around blind in the forest trying to do shit. Uh, I highly recommend watching that as a supplement to your, your French Beauty and the Beats. What were you talking, like 50s? A 65, okay. like a 60s-ish uh, sort of thing. Nice, but yeah, nice. Not Tarkovsky. Not Tarkovsky, and it's it's played comedically, and it's played comedically poorly. Oh, no, that sounds bad. <laughs> so there are parts where you're like, oof, that didn't work out that well. But there are other parts where it's legitimately funny because they put an actor in a mask they can clearly not see out of. Um, got a lot of cultural differences, too, where you're like, well, I guess that was just a thing that they thought would be funny or is supposed to resonate. It doesn't, but it's an interesting oddity I've had to watch and um, hmm. kind of like my educational phase of learning Russian. And I was like, all right, that was a thing. It was fucking wild. Kind of like a bootleg of all the things that you've probably known from fairy tales. But yeah. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Interesting. Uh, all this to say, uh, Hollywood, I would like to see Nicolas Cage in a live action Beauty and the Beast movie. Please, please make that happen. Hollywood, for me. bring back Is... German expressionism. Yes. Bring it back <laughs> yes. hard. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. I, like I also want to see Nick, Nick Cage's Cage. Dracula not in Renfield. Yes. Like actually uh, yes, a Dracula, actual Dracula shot in black and white. But yeah. that's never happening. <laughs> somebody, can, somebody needs to fund it. Somebody will. Yeah. Uh, so that's a, a recommend for the 46 Beauty and the Beast and a shrug for <laughs> the Disney ones. Uh, a shrug for the. Animated, animated one and a thumbs down for the live action. Wow, it's just a, a descent down. Yep. <laughs> yeah, it just there. is getting worse. Yeah, mm -hmm. it's just more and more diluted. Yeah. All right, John, what uh, classy thing quote did you watch? Uh? Well, uh, yeah, I watched a little classy feature starring a certain classy Rat Pack member known as Dean Martin. Uh, oh, maybe y'all know okay. about him. He sings about uh, several things. He croons about them sometimes. And uh, you know, with the us watching Black Dynamite. Some other stuff I thought, hey, you know, I'll look up and see what are some other pieces of black cinema from the 70s I can watch. And Dean Martin was in a movie called Mr. Rico, directed by Paul Bogart, who's uh, Bogart. Yeah, he's Bogarting the, the credits. Is he related uh, to Humphrey? I don't think so. Hmm. Um, yeah, this movie. So uh, to, just to kind of give you the high level of how it feels from a vibe standpoint, this is like um like if Dirty Harry had kind of a like Brissonian vibe to it, they were following like a, a background character in Dirty Harry who didn't fucking matter. You know, the SFPD, they're doing fucked up shit. They're corrupt police force. Uh, but let's follow this geriatric across the plains of a golf course as he tries to get the last bits of toothpaste out of a tube. Uh, why John, not? I, I gotta say, these are, yeah. are two things that, that I very much love, but this sounds like a terrible combination of the two did you watch anything else this week i should change my recommend yeah this sounds watch something like else putting the listeners to sleep okay <laughs> well you know all the people out there who love dean martin i'm sorry but i gotta pivot you know the people want what they want what they want so uh i i guess we'll we'll do something a little more i would imagine punchy. the uh you know concentric circles of of people who like dean martin and people who listen to our podcast just don't overlap 
Uh, it's all. pretty limited. The, the, people, Venn, the Venn diagram. You, you you left out the people who love black cinema too, but uh, yeah, I I get your point. There's probably a really uh, yeah. narrow bullseye uh-huh. to hit with that that dart that I would throw. So, um, fuck it. We're close to spooky season, right? I'll just pivot. Uh, I I watched uh, a few horror movies recently. Um, I'm catching up on some of my spooky shit, uh, and uh, I just decided I have a 4K copy of 1979's The Amityville Horror. It's the kind of house they don't build anymore. A relic of a time when the world wasn't in such a hurry. When there was still time for a little charm and elegance. It has stood empty for a long while. And at the price, it is a bargain. For a growing young family, it is almost too good to be true. What do you think? I love it. James Brolin, Margot Kidder, Rod Steiger in the Amityville Horror. I know. Oh, I've never seen that. The uh, Well, you haven't seen it, but uh, apparently all of America has because there's just a cranked out franchise of all oh, of these God, fucking yes. trash films. Yeah, there are like 10 of them, right? There's just been fucking like 60 along. of these. Oh, yes. They have. So Amityville Horror, for those who don't know, um, the 1979 movie is an adaptation of a book based on a story told by a man who's clearly a charlatan uh who just wanted to fucking exploit the fact that he moved his family into a house where a bunch of murders happened um there was like a family that was murdered in a house in amityville and uh this guy um by the last name of lutz george lutz i think is his full name he was lionel hutz Lionel Lutz, Lionel Lutz, <laughs> sir, everybody. <laughs> no, muddy down. <laughs> I'm not wearing a tie at all. Uh, that's complete non sequitur. But uh, yeah, George Lutz, he decided um, he had just married into a family. He has a, a loving wife and I think three stepchildren. And he was like, we're going to buy a house for $80,000 because it's the murder house. <laughs> that uh, like seven people were killed in um, in this terrible tragedy in 1976. Frankly, something. that sounds like a great financial decision. 1975. Yeah, right? Good for Honestly. that guy. Yeah, yeah. D- why not? Um, it turns out that the house is so allegedly haunted. Um, and so they, the family moved out after 28 days of living there. They sold the rights of the book to some author. I can't remember who the fuck wrote it. It came out the exact same year as The Shining by Stephen King. The, mm. the book did. And then the movie came out one year before The Shining by Stanley Kubrick. Are there twins? There are not twins. Is there a hedge maze? There is not a hedge maze, but there <laughs> is a man staring down the barrel of the camera and looking very fucking deranged. Okay. For, for <laughs> good right. portions All of right. this movie. Um, no so, TV and no <laughs> beer make Homer something, something. 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 <laughs> Uh, so we follow the character George Lutz played by James Brolin, uh, and his wife who is, um, played by Margot Kidder, Kathy Lutz, uh, and then all of their kids. And even the mayor from Jaws, the guy who plays the mayor of Amityville is, or Amity, Amity. sorry, Amity. Yeah. Amity. Is Amityville just Amity? It's just, uh. Is it in Massachusetts? Is it a beach town? Yeah, in Massachusetts? <laughs> yeah it should be, uh. We can't close down this house. Uh, Amityville needs summer dollars. And uh, this Fourth of July is when we make all our money. (laughs) You you gotta have the blood run down the walls during October. You can't interrupt the ghosts, okay? (laughs) (laughs) So they 
they move into this house and this movie is a significantly slower burn than I thought it would be. Um, mm. I'm not sure if it's like a seventies thing because I think about like, you know, John Carpenter's Halloween where there's pretty slow pacing to that of like stalking and kind of layering in that creepiness. But I still feel like there are a lot of creature features around that time that are like, get the monster out of the way. Like, Oh, it's scary. Or, Oh, it's, you know, a man in a rubber suit. You can make out now teenagers. Um, yeah. Amityville starts very innocently with like almost a documentarian thing. Like this, this family is moving into this house on this date. And then every few scenes, they're like, it's this day in terms of them moving in and like living there. And you watch as different characters come and go and like have different experiences within the house. And it's conjuring this kind of atmosphere of evil. Um, Truth be told, one of the things I really liked about it is compared to like a lot of the other, other stuff in the seventies, like you have the exorcist and Mm -hmm. uh, some of these other movies that like all hinge on a battle of faith and like God can save you in some way. If you're really powerful enough to expel the demons, this house doesn't give a fuck about priests. (laughs) This house will (laughs) choke the shit out of a priest. Uh, And honestly, I'm here for it. It like chokes a nun when she walks into it, like immediately she's just like, I have to leave. And it's just like about to retch and vomit. Um, But if it was Max von Sydow, he would overcome that shit. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, and the entire movie is the slow descent. Like there are practical effects that are, I wouldn't say that they're like great, but they're essential to building that character. Like they get like a shit ton of flies to fill a room and it makes it kind of creepy and has this sort of decaying vibe to it. And characters, the acting is really great. I would say for a lot of the sequences where people are really selling that either they're slowly falling down this, like not getting as much sleep, they're deranged. Um, really good progression of makeup. Like, People just like James Brolin's character throughout the entire movie. He looks more and more deranged as each day passes. His eyes get more and more bloodshot. His face gets more and more pale. They do a good job keeping that continuity and having it there. There are other things where it's just like they just throw jump scares in for fun because they think the audience might be asleep uh, by how slow things are moving. Like Sasha was watching with me. She started to sleep like halfway through. And then a cat was just like, and she was like, oh, fuck. Uh, And it was literally like, it's like the bird in Citizen Kane that comes out of nowhere (laughs) to like wake you up. up. Um, I enjoy the atmosphere of it. I liked it. I would recommend it. Um, I think that in terms of the house itself, there are like whispers people hear. There's no, there's some solutions where they're like, or they try to explain some of it away with like, Oh, it was built during like the witch trials and like this man was killed and his family was slaughtered. So it was in Massachusetts. It's in Massachusetts. It is in Massachusetts. <laughs> You're actually right. Yes. <laughs> I, I, I've forgotten up until this point that it did take place in Massachusetts. Is the house haunted by sharks? It is not haunted by sharks. God damn it. Uh, <laughs> but the mayor of Jaws plays a priest who is like, literally like, just don't fuck with it. Whatever it is, don't fuck with it. To so like every other priest, he's like, we don't go to that house. It's fine. Very the opposite it, of his character in Jaws. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, right. Please fuck with it. He has like a like a police and the Yakuza kind of uh, <laughs> a relationship where he's like, look, that house is going to fucking kill who it's going to kill. We're just over here being Catholic. It's fine. Uh. <laughs> um, even the main priest who tries to cleanse the house, he makes a whole pulpit speech and is like trying to bless it from the chapel. And he goes fucking blind physically. This is what I liked about it compared to the exorcist. 
religion does not save you in this movie. <laughs> Nothing can save you. And this house is just evil. And I kind of dug that from a, Interesting. A, an approach to horror. It was like a, you just will never understand what it is. The only thing that was kind of dumb is towards the end. Everybody's like running out of the house and trying to like, just get out of there. Fucking why not? That's the most rational thing anybody could do. But the moment they get into a van and are driving away, one of the kids is like, we left the dog. And I was like, just fucking leave the dog. Okay. <laughs> Dogs can sense evil. We all know this. That dog would fucking be out of there soon. But no, the dad has to go back and save the dog. And it's uh, like shit. And it's bullshit. Um, it's like the shinning. Oh, no, we left grandpa back at the gas station. <laughs> yeah, <exactly. laughs> um, yeah, I would say the only thing that I don't really like about this movie is that it spawned a whole franchise. <laughs> yeah, because have you seen fast. any of those sequels? I haven't, but I have one of them on 4K as well. It's it's of the third movie. It's Amityville 1993. Oh, and it's called Amityville 1993: Colon. It's about time, and oh, it's about no. time travel, Dixon. God damn! And did it Christopher has a, Nolan direct this shit. He probably did. <laughs> His the lead character's name, funnily enough, is protagonist. Uh, <laughs> oh, <my laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Um, but yeah, like it, apparently because Amityville is a town that is in the public domain. Yeah, anybody oh. can use Amityville, any and anybody can use the want. image of the house to make a movie based on any of the events that happened there. Just the word Amityville is public domain? The entire like experience, because it took place in a house that's a public area that has this... It basically, like there's a legal gray area where nobody can claim copyright about it. So everybody can make Amityville movies, which is why there's been like 60 like, Amityville God, there's yes. so many. I'm scrolling through IMDb. Oh, it's nuts. You're never going to reach And the they're model. coming. They're still coming out. There's yes. fucking shit on Tubi probably from last week that fucking has... <laughs> Fucking God, there's a Ryan Reynolds remake from 2005. Yes, and that's oh, what Sasha yeah. remembered when she was like, I watched this. Oh, this isn't the same one. Same uh, title, The Amityville Horse. Same thing. Not like The Suicide Squad. The, like it's the, the same Amityville fucking <laughs> title. Drop the the. <laughs> yeah. But um, I, I bring this up because, and I know somewhere out there, a listener who's a filmmaker would love this idea, but I tried to look as best I could for an Amityville movie that wasn't cash in exploitation, something that was, you know, I've been on my Paul Verhoeven kick. I've been talking about that. Something mm. that's a little more tongue in cheek satire, you know? And I really want to see, because I read the Wikipedia article on this. So, you know, I'm an expert Dude. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, about George Lutz, uh, the man who um, told this story to an author who wrote it, the man who, uh, married that family and moved them into this haunted house. And apparently George Lutz has not been a successful businessman. He's not been a successful anything as far as I know, allegedly. Uh, and uh, he, he sued his own stepson because his stepson contradicted his story about the Amityville horror. Oh, so I I'm pitching this movie to anybody out there who's interested um, make the Amityville horror, but it's with a W H O R E R. Uh, and it's the story of George Lutz fucking exploiting the shit out of a murder in the seventies and turning this house <laughs> into some kind of fucking bullshit franchise that can be, you know, a moneymaker and a cash cow for Hollywood. Wouldn't that be fun to see? Wouldn't that be just the most cynical, bitter fucking incarnation of this horror story? I'm going to say no. Uh, I think it would be kind of fun, <laughs> especially if the twist is that house actually is haunted and we do an alternate timeline where George Lutz gets fucking tormented by it. I would enjoy that. 
Uh, George Lutz lives in uh, Las Vegas, Nevada now. Uh, go figure. And uh, mm. Seuss's stepchildren from several miles away. Who knows? Wow, what um, a dick. Yeah, exactly. Uh, this is all according to a Wikipedia. So that sounds like he invented this entire thing, yes. I'm not saying that, but I'm not <laughs> not saying that. Uh, <laughs> and it would be fun to see some alternate timeline where, um, I don't know, people tell uh, tell a story that's interesting and engaging that's not schlocky exploitation on yeah. jump scares. John, what do you think the Metacritic score is for the Amityville Horror? 68 28 oh critic critic score yeah oh i I was was saying audience score no the metacritic score okay it's only they don't do audience scores damn okay yeah that's not a rotten tomatoes thing (laughs) gotcha it's 6.2 on imdb but it's 28 meta score see i got the imdb score down almost Uh. yeah you're on the right track the the other thing about amityville horror that that i hate is that the warrens got involved with that shit and that's how they got big and then all that's Elizabeth yeah, the Warren and whatever his name really? is. Really? The, yeah, the Conjuring yeah, Warrens. Ed, I think. Them. Yeah, they were Wait, paranormal the investigators. <laughs> not, sorry, is uh, it Elizabeth Warren? No, it's not. Elaine, Elaine no, Warren. No, it's Ed and, and they were, I don't remember. We've already forgotten their names. Our, our uh, most famous Native American senator, Elizabeth Warren? <laughs> she is going to have uh, a beer. <laughs> yeah. It's Lorraine. Lorraine like Warren. Future, Ed, Lorraine. Ed and Lorraine um, Warren. I combined them to be Elaine Warren. <laughs> Elaine Warren. <laughs> They're a um, power couple that are demonologists. They, yeah. They were paranormal investigators. They had and their fucking hacks. Just like Lutz. <laughs> Allegedly, um, Ryan. Allegedly. No, no, no. And they they'd already been like trying they found a doll or trying it was haunted or whatever and all this other crap. And then when they started getting Amityville Horror became a phenomenon that people were interested in, they got big in investigating it and backing up the claims that the house was haunted. And then they proceeded to sell their stories and fucking all of the conjuring and the Annabelle and fucking the nun or whatever is all shit. That's all based on their findings. It all stems back to Amityville horror. And there is a raggedy and all in the Amityville horror for no reason at one point. So I'm just saying, you know, yes, yeah, just to reference just it or bring whatever. It up. Yeah, I would. Uh, but by the way, I would recommend this movie. I would not recommend the people behind it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, you said you have Amityville three on four K. It it's called Amityville three D, right? Is it in three D and 3D? on four K? I thought. Yeah, I, I thought it's three D. I don't know. I have I have an Amityville. I don't think they make three D movies on four K. You might have, maybe they made the two D version on four K. Maybe I have the wrong Amityville 3D that I think about. I don't know. Uh, I have Amityville 1993 colon. It's about time. Okay. I don't know. Oh, that that's is. different. I think this the one I saw was called was from like the 80s. It's called Amityville 3D. Yeah, that's that's not the one. Oh, sorry. It's Amityville 1992. I'm an idiot. Uh, it's Amityville 1992 colon. It's about time. Mm. Directed by Tony Randall. Hmm. What? What? Not the inspirational speaker. <laughs> not not, not the public speaker. No. <laughs> <laughs> oh god anyways nice. um yeah so so you recommend it i recommend it i think yeah. that in terms of like it's you know it had a lot of vibes that reminded me of the shining but the shining hadn't come out yet and so it's kind of wild mm. that it channeled that there are some parts that are a little predictable and obviously it's um gonna end a certain way that i've already kind of spoiled uh, you can go read the Wikipedia article. You already know these people fucking made it out alive and it's not that big of a deal now, but it has good atmosphere. 
According That's to the real story you told, they just bullshit. moved out. <laughs> they just fucking it running back and saving that was the actually dog the, the other thing was this movie ends with a title scene that felt like an Albert Brooks film. What? <laughs> where it literally just goes, "This entire family left that day. They never went back for their luggage." Uh, <laughs> it just says it in big bold letters, and I laughed my ass off at that part. And that luggage became haunted by demons, <laughs> and uh, were like living candlesticks and clocks, and just scared all of future visitors. But yeah, they've uh, they've parodied this in several pop culture film, like or pop culture entities obviously the simpsons treehouse of horror has one where bart's like do the blood thing make the make the walls bleed <laughs> yeah uh, and that happens here and it's it's really cool to see like the walls bleed the stairs bleed there's a lot of like cool practical effects within it the blood usually gets off at the second floor <laughs> <laughs> but like everything else around it like some of the acting is really hammy some of it is really good but other stuff is just like all right i can just tell that whoever this george lutz guy is who's behind the scenes giving creative you know insight he's full of himself he wants it to seem like he's the fucking hero who saved a goddamn dog and did all this shit for his family but then he sues his stepson so you know that's how it goes wow anyways ryan what are you fucking all right so that's that's a recommend for amityville uh i'll shout out real quick we've brought it up several times and i think we've recommended reservation dogs multiple times uh john you said you had caught up on on your own bet against yourself Yep. Uh, I did catch up on season two. Season three is ongoing. I think it's finishing soon-ish, but I did get all the way through season two. Um, and I just want to shout out since we brought it up. Season two is interesting, different departure because there's a lot of episodes, especially in the back half, that involve side characters. And it just entirely follows that side character um, and kind of gives you some background on them, their history, what they're doing now. Um, that was pretty interesting. Like it, get, it just dug deeper into those things and more emotional highs, uh, while still kind of continuing the story of these kids and the, you know, the the loss of their friend that kicked off this whole show. Um, so yeah, I was really continued to be impressed, and I look forward to season three. Um, what was your take on season two, John? Kind of yeah, it's the same thing. This is an interesting show. Just the like, whereas <clears throat> other kind of i guess prestige television whatever you want to call it i don't want to call reservation dogs necessarily prestige it doesn't have it doesn't seem like it gives a fuck about whether or not that's the case um the first season is all getting to know the main cast of characters and the fringe characters around them in the community and then the second season is yeah a beautiful blossoming of like getting more time with each of the characters in the community and like spending these moments and like Bill Burr's in it at one point. And like, there's a whole oh, thing with that. Yeah. That's fucking great. And there's, there's a bunch of people that you might know and other people that you won't recognize, but like you love each episode come out of it at the end and be like, Holy shit, that was great. I never expected it to go that, that place. And it doesn't have to follow the full, it doesn't have to grip the main core plot line the entire way through. So yeah, that's I, kind of I would say, like. uh, Dixon, if you're looking for just one episode to watch, the one where the chief of police accidentally, or he's not the chief, he's just an officer or whatever, where the officer accidentally gets high out of his mind and is <laughs> running through the woods. He drinks like a Mountain Dew that has like LSD laced all over it. And he doesn't yeah, realize it or something. And he drinks like the whole thing. Uh, and then while he's out wandering around in the woods, freaking out, he stumbles upon the like white a supremacist group conspiracy yeah, yeah. that, that, uh, dress up as salmon <laughs> <laughs> yes <laughs> or no catfish they dress up as catfish the order of the catfish 
uh, and have relations with catfish as part of their initiation. Is this ceremony. like a white supremacist <laughs> furry group? Yeah, or basically. Yeah, 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 pretty much. Yeah, yeah. Okay. It's, it's, uh, it's, it's absolutely pretty awesome. lampooning it's how so stupid bonkers. white supremacy is <laughs> and like secret community. I think we all yeah. think the mask was a nice idea. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, shout out to that. Um, and then what I, I was going to, I'll talk a little bit more in depth on. Um, Jimmy had brought up when uh, we had him on as a guest, Jimmy and Erica, that the, you should watch One Piece, <laughs> the new live action show. I'm going to find the One Piece. It's called Roger's Treasure. He hid it somewhere in the Grand Line. It's a myth. Can't wait to see the look on your face when we find it. But isn't there something that you want? More than anything else in this world. For as long as I can remember. It's been my dream to become King of the Pirates! King of the Pirates, eh? Some treacherous path. If the path seems too easy, then you're on the wrong path. Uh, and I had my hesitations. We talked a bit about uh, Cowboy Bebop was terrible and kind of any other live adaptation has been pretty awful um mainly i think because the american creators trying to bring it over and this is what was true of early comic book adaptations are embarrassed by the source material or they think it's beneath them and then try to make it into something else and in doing so just end up with like neither anything good about the original and not something interesting with the new mix um the One Piece show stays very true to the comics and anime. There are the changes in that it's a season um, where the way One Piece is run, it's just like continuously running, which is the way they used to do anime. Uh, and so they kind of have to give it a little bit more of a clear arc through it versus it sort of just being like story, story, story like it is in the comics. So they sort of bring a few things up earlier into this season that were later uh, but they still flow and then there's like minor tweaks to characters one of which is pretty much needed because the character is the classic anime trope and john i'm sure you know this of the uh dude who's just way too into ladies to a disturbing level yeah uh they make him just more of like a romantic oh, okay. uh who, who is into ladies but not in the like too almost rapey salty way uh that sometimes those characters are so that one's definitely a welcome change. Uh, honestly, the casting is really spot on. Um, the acting is really awesome for these characters. The fact that, like, I was going to say standout, there is a clown who, a pirate clown, who has the ability to remove his body parts yes, at will. Yeah, and if he's chopped up, he can, like, just come back into himself. And the fact that it comes off like a fucking creepy or something. Yeah, yeah, kind of. <laughs> the fact that he comes off like scary and creepy, honestly, at the beginning, uh, because of the actor is really good. Like, it's really good that they can balance the sort of ridiculousness of the things that are going on, but still give you like heart and stories that you care about. Um, and it, I'm like, it's not embarrassed by what it is. Uh, the the quality of the CGI works. I'll, I'll say like. It works. It's obviously a little tough to do some of the ridiculous stuff, and you can kind of tell like it is 
animation it is effects right like it's not necessarily believable but i think if you're looking at it as like if it was a cartoon it's effects right you don't really have to you kind of give into that i will yeah. say i'm i i had my family watch it uh and so i will give the if you have absolutely no clue what the fuck one piece is or if you're wondering if you can bring your family to this version of it um it is a little more violent, I think, than the anime was. Not like overtly violent, but sort of like things happen and there's blood or someone, you know, there's like a person loses an arm and it it is the right amount of weight for that. Um, but I think in the cartoon and the manga, it's a little removed. The comics are all black and white, right? And there's something like with Psycho where it's like not as visceral, still visceral in Psycho, but not as mm -hmm. when it's in black and white. Yeah. Um, they kind of bringing it to this adaptation. They say, I think, shit a lot, uh, a little bit more than the original stuff. So they're kind of like aiming it a little bit higher than the original, which is aimed at like tween teen boys. Uh, I think they're aiming this at the like teen and up to adults level. And I will say for, for someone coming like completely outside of it, my family and, and obviously Darla have no clue on what one piece is and they enjoyed it like they were enough they were like can we watch another episode can we watch another episode like they wanted to get through it uh we watched pirates of the caribbean earlier and, oh no uh, refute that i fucking hate the pirates of the caribbean franchise <laughs> um and got uh dragged into that but this was my retribution of like okay you want to fucking watch pirates you huh you want to see some pirates <laughs> so i was like let's watch one piece uh and i you like and the this, fact that they wanted to piece keep going of shit. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Um, so yeah, I, I recommend it. And this is honestly, yeah, no, that's it. That's the, that's all I have to say about that. <laughs> yeah, no. So generally I'm like, I, I recommend the one piece and kind of, I think, you know, this is something that you can come into. This isn't like an, everybody's going to enjoy it. Cause it is sort of stupid and silly. Um, and there are some, you have to give up some things because it's live action. There are things mm -hmm. that stand out more of you're like, why the fuck are they calling each other on snails? Like, why is that the thing they do? Sure. Or I think mm. if you're watching a cartoon, you're just like, meh, snails in this universe, whatever. Like, right, you kind of just already have given up everything. Are they normal-sized, like, tiny little snails? It, uh, and it depends. Mostly the, like, ones that are on their desks are, like, telephone-sized, like, a you know, an old okay. you know, receiver telephone. And uh, it talks through its mouth. Uh, <laughs> that's how you <laughs> that's hear. Amazing. It's like some Jetsons. <laughs> no, no, some uh, Flintstone yeah, shit. Yes, yeah. it is exactly. Yeah, it's exactly some Flintstone shit of like uh, a giant snail on your desk that is the phone you use. Yeah. Um, which is just like Oda, the creator. He just, I don't know, his imagination's fucking all over the place. Um, and the fact that they just let it be like, okay, that's what it is. Snail phones. We're gonna do it in live action. Just we're gonna continue it on. Well, props to them for fucking doing that and not being like, we're, you know, we're just gonna make it like a rock or something that we can just put a little green screen thing over and fuck it up. Yeah. I was kind of curious about the camp because we talked about it previously, how like trying to translate any kind of cartoon, um, you know, even uh, like, fuck we we've done speed racer at one point and that's God, movies uh, just like so campy. Something. Like you can't, <laughs> you can't not be like, this is insane. This is all. Absurd. I lost brain cells. Yeah, you did. That movie. <laughs> Yeah, gone forever. That's right. <laughs> I'll never be who I was before Speed Racer. But you'll always film good. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, and and so like thinking about 
you know, even when we were talking with Jimmy, when he was like, yeah, there's a clown that like detaches his body and he has a, a magic attack called the buggy ball. I was like, what the fuck? <laughs> this makes no sense. But the fact that you said that it's able to make it creepy and dark uh, sounds like it tonally walks that line well between being campy and actually engaging, like not, it doesn't distance you with how camp it can be, how like yeah it it mixes them together right it mixes them together and balances them the show does like it it just gives in to like camp like it's like it's okay it's campy um the you know the main character calls out the name of his attack before he does it and it's kind of stupid but i would say but, but no it's stupid but it's like that's the character like you kind of give in to like that's what those people would do yeah um the the main character luffy is just like so stupidly optimistic um and just like absolutely believes in his like where he's going in his vision and just whatever and you eventually just sort of like are endeared to it anyway um and so the fact that he is doing these kind of stupid things you're just sort of like all right whatever that's him and yeah so they can go from like the kind of horrifyingness of this clown uh potentially like all his body parts he has like a whole town that he like chains down and makes watch his circus shows um and they're like (laughs) children like crying because they're locked into their seat to watch this and be told when to laugh and it turns around and he gets like blasted like team rocket out of the circus tent (laughs) to tomorrow (laughs) right like right afterwards and he comes back you made an anime reference that i understand My God, the stars aligned. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. That's amazing. Yeah, it sounds like uh, Luffy has big George Bailey energy. <laughs> yes. Yeah. It's that's a lot of good. shitty decisions that he's still endearing. Um, he has yeah. about the intelligence of Uncle Billy and the endearing <laughs> optimism the of George Bailey. The intelligence of Uncle Billy and the so heart rubbish. of George Bailey. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Great. Nice. Yep. All right. I'm interested to watch it. Jimmy sent me a text saying that I should follow up. He wanted to know what I would think if I watched it. How many episodes is it again? Um, is it is it like eight or ten? It's eight. I I looked it up. Okay. Yeah, it's not very long. I can do that. Much less. Each episode is like an hour. The animated version. (laughs) Yes. Oh yes. Significantly less. I can do Um, eight. Um. Yeah. Thousand seventy six episodes fewer (laughs) than the animated version. Each uh, episode is an arc, essentially, the way that they're doing it. So each one is like an arc, and then the the main sort of first chunk is what's this one season. So I would say maybe the first episode is probably like the first five episodes of the anime if it's damn. you know putting it up. So they do compact things down a little bit, but I, I feel like it works. You the know, power of adaptation. It, yeah. Do you prefer this version or the animated version? Ooh, man, I have come and gone <laughs> from the animated version because it is like a thousand fucking episodes. Yeah, you haven't watched all 1,082 episodes, have you? I have not watched all 1,000. Yeah, I probably watched the first four or 500, which sounds Holy ridiculous. Shit. Okay. I mean, I, um, I say that in shock. I'm like, I've probably seen that many Simpsons episodes. <laughs> Um, yeah, so, really. yeah, yeah, right. And it, and it was like that where you're just watching it over years and every mm-hmm. so often you catch up and they're like 30 minutes. So every once in a while, I just sit down and watch yeah. like five or six of them in a row. Right. Um, and I think that the anime started at a time where there was this transition into now things are seasonal. 
So up until kind of the mid 2000s, which is the mid 2000s, are we in the mid 2000s? Like the 2010s, <laughs> or like from from like late, uh, you know, turn of the century to to the to 2010s. Um, they started getting to like, oh, we'll do seasons. And prior to that, it just like ran continuously. Everything just ran continuously. Some shows were on every fucking week. And so they have to fill up time. And sometimes they would catch up with a comic and have to make shit up uh, that just yeah. you can tell is not as good. And so there are definitely like lulls and drags in that show that come and go. Um, and it is over the top kind of in the right way. I will say I like the update to some of the characters that removes a little bit of the two extremes like i was mentioning um with the one character not being so like overtly uh horn doggy um <laughs> so or yeah i think that it's horn doggy yes. yeah yeah it, it it's kind of due for an update i have intended like i'm just i've given up and i'm like i'm not fucking watching a thousand episodes or even if i have 500 of them that i have yeah. to get through because i've already watched it i'm like i'm not going to i have thought about reading the comic to to compare it to that um and honestly i'm like it's more tackleable because i got through all of dragon ball like dragon ball which dragon ball z and dragon ball super up into caught catching up which is a lot and it didn't take that long i was kind of surprised of how fast i could get through it um so i've kind of been thinking about going back and going through all the comic yeah you have to wait like they buy you can tell when they're buying time in the tv show versus like you know, you read a book, you can get through the fucking words and the word bubbles, graphic novel, any of that. Like, yeah, pretty quick. Yeah, if you want to. Yeah. Well, cool. Uh, I, I am going to check it out. I don't have a Netflix subscription right now. Kind of waiting for when several other shows align. And then I'll just fucking go watch it. and Hang, hang out for Castlevania out. at the end of, uh, I think it's the end of this month. Yeah, I think so. There's that. There's like some new thing from uh, Mike Flanagan who did uh, oh. Haunting of Hill House and What's the vampire show that uh, you? I was just trying to remember. Me? Yeah, uh, because I'm too drunk now. I don't remember. <laughs> but the horror Christianity vampire show. On <laughs> Jesus is a vampire. Everybody, you type that's... that into the search and see what comes up. Yeah. I mean, that's every vampire thing. Midnight Mass. Degree. Midnight Mass. Midnight, Midnight Mass. Mass. Everybody, I'm a Catholic. I remember that. Sure. <laughs> but yeah, cool. Well, you would recommend this then, Ryan? Yeah, I do recommend it. Awesome. So, all right. Well, I think that that brings us around. A recommend for the forty six Beauty and the Beast from Dixon. Yes, a eh, an eh on the animated and a nope on the <laughs> live action readaptation. Yep. Uh, John, uh, something an, overruled talked about on something. Mr. Rico. <laughs> yeah, talked about <laughs> something. Got overruled. Yeah. Uh, told us how uh, for the Amityville Horror. Yeah. Yep. Shout out for Res Dogs, and I recommend One Piece, and that will uh, bring us to a close. I have been your host, Ryan King, and with me, as always, John Garcia. Uh, be careful which house you move into, folks. It could uh, have some kind of scam where you could sell your rights to a book publisher. Who knows? Oh, that, that sounds yeah. terrifying. <laughs> That's the real horror of capitalism. <laughs> you ha- do you have to follow through with it? The house compels you to sell this story. <laughs> Until you're suing your stepchildren. <laughs> the power yes. of real estate compels you. <laughs> <laughs> the power of house compels you. And also joining us tonight, Michael Dixon. Thanks for putting up with our bullshit.
Hey there, movie buffs, TV toughs, and all listeners in between. John here from the Afterthoughts Podcast. I just wanted to drop in at the end of this episode and say thanks for listening. If you've got afterthoughts of your own to share, hit us up. You can find us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at The Afterpod, or jump into a conversation on our Discord server. You can find info for this and more at theafterpod.transistor.fm. Thanks again for listening, and we'll catch you on the next episode.